Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, and I'm here with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great, how are you? I'm not doing too bad, thank you. Good. Uh, today we have lots to talk about, uh, movies in theaters and a festival. We're going to start with a festival. It's the Rendezvous with Madness Festival, and it starts uh, very soon on October 28th. They have a ton of stuff. And so I'm going to start off by telling you about a film that if you missed it at Hot Docs, this is your chance. And even if you didn't miss it, this is your chance to see it again, because uh, it's a great, great doc. It's called Gima Bibitsen, The Meaning of Empathy. And it's a film by Ella Maya Tailfeathers. She right now is starring in Night Raiders, the film by Dennis Goulet. So she's also an actor. But she's also a filmmaker. She uh, is the one that brought us The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open. So in this documentary, she turns the camera on her own community. It's the Kanai First Nation in Alberta. And what she's doing is she is putting, you know, focusing on the opioid crisis that is happening in the community. Um, but more importantly, she is focusing on the people that are at the front, you know, in the front lines, the, the, the dedicated frontline workers. Her mother is one of them. So we get this sort of, you know, uh, very close insight into it. But also uh, because she's a member of the community and because she knows people uh, also, you know, through her mother, but also herself, the people that she speaks with are so open. Um, it's a really, really intimate portrait of individuals, uh, you know, going through addiction, various stages of addiction. But it it is also uh, a portrait of like radical new methods of fighting uh, the problem of addiction or dealing with, which is. More, these new methods are more reliant on compassion and empathy uh, because, you know, there's also, you know, the, there's this underlying element, which is, of course, that we're, we're dealing with a community that, you know, has been affected very deeply by colonial, colonialism. Uh, so like, the, the wounds go deep, the wounds go deep. Um, and the old methods just are not going to work here. At least that's that's what you get to see in this film. It's 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 really quite uh, it's quite really quite stunning. Yeah, it's a very good film, and it's it's one that really gives you a different perspective. Like you really get to see what the community is struggling with, and how outsiders of that community judge them differently, not under not fully understanding the the struggles. So yeah, it's a very it's a very um, powerful and thought-provoking film. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think thought-provoking is a very, very useful word here mm -hmm. in this discussion. Yeah. There's another film that I saw um, that also is a, a very intimate film, and it's the film called Annie, and it's from the Czech Republic. And this one is basically a documentary that was shot over the years 1996 to 2012. And it looks at this woman, Anna, who Annie for short, who is a 
sex worker, but she only got into sex work at age 46. And it was something that she kind of stumbled into because she was at a phase of her life where she was, she needed money and she just happened to meet a person that was in the industry. And so over these various years, you follow her as she's out on the street and you slowly through her eyes and her odd jobs, because when she's not on the street, she's like a bathroom attendant. She's uh, at one point she's in like a theater production that this woman who's who cares about the, the health and safety of sex workers, you know, provides them with protection, but also tries to get them into this community based artistic program as a means of giving them a different outlet. So you start to see her life through all these various stages and, you know, the older she gets, she's still doing the sex work. And there's times where she steps away from it. And then she's only doing it, let's say like three times a month, what have you. And there's a point where she even later on gets married and still kind of hints that she might still go back to sex work if, if needed, but it's a very interesting portrait of not only Annie herself, but also the Prague economy. Like you can see how the, going from a regime that was very i want to say i guess dictatorship where you know to not work would land you in jail to moving to a time where people don't care if you don't work but now everything is too expensive that even the middle class can't afford a lot of the goods in stores it's just a really fascinating look at economy culture how sex is viewed you know all through the eyes of this older streetwalker um so it's 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 a really interesting portrait and the film doesn't quite go where you think it's going to go and even when you know she's a bit of a hopeless romantic and when she does find love it still alludes to the fact that there might be hardships because her new husband of you know they've only been together for a couple of months but he's in need of a green card so you start to wonder you know is there something else going on she seems happy but you know so there's always like the threat of the shoe always dropping the other shoe dropping but annie's personality and just overall spirit makes it a really interesting interesting film so it's it's one that i would recommend um checking out for, for those who are interested and Excellent. that sounds great yeah yeah and there's another one that's playing at the festival this was was really good it's a bit of an uh, emotional journey that crams a lot into its 76 minute running time and it's a film called north by current um and the director angelo madison minax is a trans male who has made this film about his family and their rural michigan hometown and the film starts off almost as like a true crime mystery because his niece is um, dies at a very young age, you know, just a child. Um, and his sister and her husband, eventually husband, get are viewed as being the main suspects. And essentially the husband gets um, charged for a crime that the autopsy and stuff may lead to believe that he actually did not commit. So it really starts to look at the nature of policing and how sometimes 
innocent people can get railroaded by the system simply because the powers that be will take the word of someone, one of their own, opposed to someone who was an ex-convict. So that's like the, the crux of it. But then it actually explodes into this really deep um, portrait of grief, gender, and sexuality, because there's this whole through line of his parents not only grieving the loss of a grandchild, but in many ways, their own daughter transitioning to a man. So there's that whole other layer. And then there's the relationship between his sister, Jesse and her husband, because her husband's an alcoholic. And she's also dealing with the grief of the child by essentially having more children. So there's just a lot of threads. It's a very sprawling film that somehow manages to keep itself contained in its brisk running time. And just when you think, all right, this film is going to get out of hand or he's going to thread, like he finds a way to keep it all captivating and fascinating and talks about issues of manhood and especially in rural towns, how manhood is viewed as something very stoic and you don't show emotion and strength. And what are the ramifications of that on generations of, of kids? It's there's a lot going on in this film, but it is, it is fascinating from beginning to end. Um, it is one that you'll need to take a breath after you see, cause it's, it is heavy, but not in a depressing kind of way. Just like, wow, that was, you know, you feel like you've been part of this family for an hour and a half and it's like, okay, I need, I need a breath. I, I, <laughs> wow. I need a breath, but yeah, it, it was, it was very well done. I was surprised by how he was able to keep everything um, together the way he does. Yeah. And as you said, it's a brisk running time. It's what it's like under an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and within the first hour, you've already felt like, okay, we've, there's no, no other secrets left the towel. And it's like, well, actually there's a few other family secrets. And he, yeah. he even admits that it's a very nonlinear approach, but yet somehow it still works because he's, there's still some unresolved issues between himself and his mother. And as much as it's talking about masculinity, it also looks at motherhood and, you know, mothers as the ultimate protectors. Um, and just it's it's a really interesting film that there's a lot to unpack, but I, I highly recommend that film. Um, What's it called again? It's called North by Current. So it's definitely one to to check out. And another film that's also kind of sprawling, but I would say a little more on the lighter side, if as light as films about addiction and mental health can be is an animated film called Laginsky. Um, my apologies if I've mispronounced that name, but it is a f- film by a director known as Hania. And it is a Japanese animated film that runs about an hour and it focuses on this individual known as Deer Man, who is essentially a deer placed on a um, human body, but it's all animated. So the film is essentially like a series of collages and it's showing, it shows how dear man's deteriorating mental state leads him to a particular bar where this bartender slash 
kind of priest-like figure gives him this drink known as the Lewinsky. And the sorry, the Lewinsky is essentially a drink that was made by a man who, you know, got fired from his job, moved to the mountains, and decided he was going to create a brew from scratch, and nearly went mad creating this drink. And somehow the the recipe has finally come to this bartender, and he only serves it to crazy people because it's like <laughs> you're it's like you're drinking glass, you know, but when it goes down, but when it hits you it sends you to these other places here just mentally. And the more he drinks, the more his life kind of goes these crazy places. And he has encounters with his girlfriend who's upset that he's lost a job. <laughs> and it looks at not only mental health, but also how we, how society views life and, and the economy. So the, in the girlfriend's eyes, if you're a working class, then you have the freedom to shop, have sex, you know, watch TV. And if you don't work, then you're not afforded that those type of luxuries. Whereas the upper class in this film, it's more portrayed like, dare I say, Squid Game, where they find amusement by looking at the, the poor people, you know, subject themselves to pain and other issues. It's, it's a very wild film even just describing it, but it's one of those, but visually it's, it's captivating. As I said, it's uh, collages, it's video work, it's paintings, it's all kind of thrown together. So every scene there's 10 or 15 different things that your eyes are, are looking at as you're following this character down this insane journey. And it gets to the point where the world just kind of feels natural where what was once shocking with some of these imagery is just it, it, by the time you get halfway through, you're like, okay, I'm, I've completely acclimatized myself to this world. And there's some moments in here, which I can't spoil, but are both daring and also hilarious in, in what this director does. So I will say it is about an hour in terms of its running time, maybe a little hour. Keep that in mind and stay for the hour. <laughs> Because there might be times when you think the film is over, but stay for the hour and just go on this wild journey that goes from mental health to the economy to philosophical things about life. There's even like a little bit of Bonnie and Clyde moments in there, all thrown together like the collages in the film. But it's surprisingly entertaining for, for what it is. Wow. That, that is an experience, eh? Yes. Yes. And that's one thing I will say about this film and, it, and even North by Current, their experiences that you just kind of they, they they hit you and you're like, wow, that was something I've you know, especially for Lewinsky, something I've never seen before. And for the most part, it works. <laughs> the most part, it for the most part, it works. And I know that there was one that you saw that you wanted to mention. Um, was it yeah. polystyrene? Yeah, polystyrene. I am a cliche. Uh, that's the title of it. And uh, it's about the artist, the singer, Polly Styrene. And um, she was the lead singer. And she's, she's a punk icon, actually. She was the lead singer of a band called X-Ray Specs. And um, she was the first Black woman in the UK to lead a band, to be, you know, to be the leader of a band. And this was during the punk movement. So that tells you something that it took that long, right? Um, I just wanted to highlight it really quickly because, I, you know, 
if it comes out, I'm sure you and I are going to have a really good conversation about it. And I don't want to wreck that. So um, it's just that it was at Hot Docs. So I think some of you have heard the title, like polystyrene, um, especially polystyrene, I am a cliche. It's a great title. Uh, and I'll just tell you quickly, it is at Rendezvous with Madness. And um, it is in part a portrait of the artist um, done by her daughter, which gives you, you know, you get a sense that it's an intimate point of view, but the film, uh, I think it's a very, like, it's a great doc. That's why I wanted to highlight it. Like every great doc, it starts off as one thing and it becomes something else, you know? And what you were talking about in terms of creating, you know, this sort of like recreating or creating a new kind of scene. Well, this recreates a scene, a time and a place, you know? Um, so, so yeah, it, it sort of like fits in in my head that way that, uh, but in terms of the, the absolute intimacy of this film, it's, uh, it's an experience, this is an experience as well. So, so for everything with Rendezvous with Madness, guys, just, you know, look up Rendezvous with Madness online, check out their schedule. There's lots, um, and there's a variety of things happening, you know, online and in, in person. And, um, so it's, you know, it's really grown into a, like a big significant festival in Toronto. Uh, something not to be missed, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find them at the um, workmanarts.com. That website, yes. though, there'll be a link to the Rendezvous with Madness 2021, where you can see the full schedule. Excellent. Okay. Okay. So, you, okay. You know how we've been talking, you've been mostly talking about how these films, a couple of these films you've been watching have been like an experience, right? Um, and it, they're pretty wild. Wow. I saw this film. Uh, it's on Apple Plus. And uh, it's Todd Haynes' new film. And uh, I think people might have heard of it from Cannes. That's where it first, first premiered. Um, and it's, at, it's been at festivals and now it's on Apple Plus. <clears throat> and I highly, highly recommend this film. Uh, Todd Haynes has now made this documentary called The Velvet Underground. It's about the band. Uh, I think, you know, people know this, this filmmaker. He, he's made features and docs. And so he's made features like Poison, Safe. Safe, which speaking of Rendezvous with Madness, they're having, um, you know, a screening of Safe because they always have this sort of harking back to the past kind of screening, you know. And so, and Safe is about a woman who does develop a certain um, environmental illness, um, but it's, you know, it's treated like she's having a mental health breakdown. So, you know, it fits in the context of Rendezvous. Um, but also, I think probably a recent film that was uh, probably the best received was Carol that he made, right? Yep, yep, Carol was a, a big hit for, for him. Yeah, and, but he's also, He's also known for his documentaries. And what he does with documentary is he always creates something different and unusual. Like he really experiments with documentary, at least in my opinion. Um, and I'll, I'll just quickly 
like rhyme off some of the things he's done. Like he started off by making this short that was a controversial short because he got in trouble for not getting permission um, to use the music. Uh, it, it's called Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. And um, it's, it's a cult classic now. Um, and basically it was um, a portrait of Karen Carpenter and her tragic life and death. It's really a sad story. Um, but he was using Barbie dolls as the actors, right? Um, in Velvet Goldmine, which, yes, he has two films that have the word <laughs> velvet in it, so be careful. Velvet Goldmine is, fix is a fictional account, but it uses stories and events that happened uh, in the 1970s glam rock era. He like draws heavily heavily on stories uh, from David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and Lou Reed. Um, yeah, and that has then, a star-studded cast as, as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm Not There, which was probably the, the previous latest doc, kind of doc he made, which was this biopic. Uh, he, he depicted various facets of Bob Dylan's life and of, of him various you know things about Bob Dylan um, using seven fictionalized characters and they're played by five actors plus an actress the great Kate Blanchett uh, who does an incredible incredible thing in that film so you know I'm just setting it up that he has this background of uh, referencing pop culture and um, really using creative ways to depict the era and depict the subject matter. So in this case, the Velvet Underground, the Velvet Underground was, you know, like a late 60s, 70s um, band. Uh, they came out of Andy Warhol's factory. Uh, so there's a lot of reference to Andy Warhol, but there's a lot of reference to the art of the time. And the art of the time um, was very, you know, rebellious. Um, there were two kinds of things going on, which was, you know, painters were doing uh, the splash kind of painting, the Jackson Pollock painting, but other people were doing, you know, Andy Warhol was like reacting against that and doing, um, you know, more like he was trying to like create like a mechanized sort of look to his, uh, to his work, you know, by having um, the screen prints, you know, the silk screen prints and just repeating them over and then having slight variations and stuff. So, uh, and in terms of underground film at the time, there was this movement that was, you know, reacting against conventional film, um, which was very, it was a very vibrant, active time. That's when, you know, places like the Anthology Film Archives in, in New York and, and places like that. So there were more places where you could see this kind of avant-garde art. So what Todd Haynes does in this film is he sets the band and his portrait of the band right in the middle of this conversation that's going on between all the art forms and in between all the activity that's going on. So the film is this unbelievable experience. It's a, it mostly uses a split screen technique in which sometimes you might have a talking head, but then you know, on the other half of the screen, you'll have 
like an experimental film. A lot of it are Andy Warhol films, but a lot of it are other artists of the time, which is what freaked me out because you, you don't really see, Warhol is referenced a lot, but these other people are not referenced as much. You know, Jonas Mikas is there because, you know, he basically created like a lot of the opportunities in the, the New York underground that, or besides Warhol, right? That was Jonas Mikas. And I hope I didn't lose you in this because I know I'm talking about all these obscure people. Um, but it's only to say that there is so much happening and it was a vibrant time and this film is very vibrant. And yes, you do get to talk to some of the former members. Uh, you do get to hear Lou Reed's voice, although he's passed away. Um, his voice is very prominent, you know, using old interviews, old, old conversations. So it's just like this constant conversation um, that is just so brilliant at unseating everything and getting you into the time. It's like you are transported, you are taken in into that time and place that he has created on this screen. And this is on my TV at home. You know, if you watch it on Apple TV and you still get this wild ex cinematic experience. Um, and I'm getting ready, you know, I'm just planning, when can I watch it again? It's, it's that kind of film. And if you love like music, obviously it's a music doc, but, if you love the Velvet Underground, if you love the Reed, if you love that time, that kind of, that aesthetic, you'll love this. And if you don't, I, I would love to hear from people who like, are not into this kind of music or this kind of time and or don't know a lot about the art, just to hear how they would experience um, this film. Yeah, it's this one well. sounds um, very good. And you know, as you, you mentioned, he's been inspired by music and his, his other works, his dramas, um, I'm not there and velvet, um, gold mine. So it'd be interesting to see, cause it looks here like this is his first feature doc. He, the other one that you mentioned, the one with the Barbies was the doc short. So that yeah, was I'm, a short. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's I very interesting. The others to are features. Yeah. <laughs> the other are feature docs. Um, uh, no, th those ones are dramas. No, the I'm not really? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're they're both musically inspired, though. So that's probably where the uh, things he he seems to have oh, a, yes, an affinity course. for for yes. music of that era. Right, because it's a um, I'm not there is a biopic. Mm -hmm. Biopics, of course, are dramas. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. It's all right. The listeners understood what you meant, and and this plus, is like, they're. Creative documentary mm -hmm. that it's like the line between documentary and drama, you know, it's it really blurred, blurred, huh? Yeah, it's yeah. really blurred, but that's not to say that there's there's nothing untrue. Like this is true. This is a true representation of what was going on. I don't know because I don't know Lou Reed, like I, people who knew him, I don't know. They, they might have a reaction. Um, John Cale, who's another famous, famous member of the band, um, he, yeah, they, they speak to him a lot, you know? Um, he's featured a lot throughout the film, um, being still alive and, and well and 
so um yeah it sounds very very good skewed in one way or you know because yeah these people got to be on screen more than these people but like to me like i said it just really introducing introduces you to to that that era that that cultural moment you're in it and you're immersed in it just like you would be if you were alive at that time oh that sounds very good and that one's available on Apple Plus, right? Apple Plus, yeah. Okay. Um, well, before we go, how about we end off talking about a film that I know we both watched, and it is the latest work from filmmaker Kiyoshi Kurosawa. And uh, people might know him because he did the, I guess one of his most popular films is the, the horror film Cure, which I, I still need to see. But he also did one called Pulse, which was, I think, one of the first films I saw the first year I went to Toronto um, International Film Festival back in 2001, which was really good. And people told me that that was a, a heavy one to dive into, but I loved it. And um, he also did Bright Future and this great miniseries of that called Penance. Uh, so he's back again with a film that's very, I'd say very Hitchcockian um, in its approach and it's Wife of a Spy. And it's, it tells a tale of this wife um, Satoko, who is married to Yusaku, and Yusaku is a merchant who deals with a lot of international buyers and clients. But this is in Japan pre-World War II, and Japan is very much about nationalism and not trusting foreigners in this time. And one of the clients that Yusaku is dealing with gets arrested for being a spy. And then suspicion starts to, you know, the, the army and the police begin to become suspicious of him. And his whole time, the wife is thinking it's it's nothing, nothing to worry about. But as the story unfolds, you realize that Yusaku may be actually giving out secrets. And it's not for personal gain, but more to make a... A, a political statement. He, he's seen a lot of atrocities that his country has done, and he thinks the world needs to know. And um, Satoko essentially, through a series of events, gets involved in this as well. Um, so she's trying to navigate this this secret that her her husband's been holding with the police pressure. And there's a particular military representative that they both know from their youth which causes a bit of a triangle um, and the film kind of unfolds from there. That's as, as best as I could describe it without divulging what the secret is and, and what occurs, but it is, uh, it's a really interesting film. That was, that was a good, that was a good description. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's a really interesting film. Um, it's, I don't know if it's, I would put it up there with, Curse always best in terms of the ones that I, the other films that I've seen, but I, I, w I did find it engaging. It's, it's a very slow burn kind of film. Um, when it really kind of kicks into gear and secrets are revealed, I think that's when it ramps up. And for me, I was most invested, but it, it took a while to, to get there. Um, uh, but I did like the world, how he, he created and, you know, taking us back to a particular time and showing, just the the classism that that occurs but also the the pressures of running a business in that time or just living life when the military are constantly watching you and if you become 
a suspect on one of their many lists, you know, your entire life is being observed and watched. So it created a good sense of tension and, and paranoia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that paranoia really started to, to take me over. You know, I think I think I got into it maybe sooner than you did. Um, I don't have like a really strong history with this filmmaker, which is to my, <laughs> which is a bad thing about me for me. Um, so now, of course, uh, I want to see much, much more. Um, but for for me, you know, yeah, as soon as I started to recognize this sort of Hitchcockian tinge to things, um, even though the, 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 d- during the slow parts, I started to realize the sort of the, the menace that I was feeling inside of myself. Like I was waiting and the paranoia that I was feeling. And, and a lot of it had to do with the way he focused on Sotoko, her reactions. And, and I'll, I have to give him credit for creating a really interesting character in her. She appears foolish at times, especially at the beginning. And then, especially because, you know, she really cares about being well taken care of. She, you know, she doesn't want anything to screw her up her rich life, her rich existence, and this transformation that starts to happen with her. And then that's where the murkiness comes in. And they use the, the murkiness comes in. And I mean, murky as in, we're not sure what, what the hell she wants, what she's up to. We're not sure what he's up to. Um, and this, so yeah, that Hitchcockian element of who's gaslighting who. Um, but then there's, she also has these like femme fatale kind of moments, you know, and it was like, wait a minute. So the film was brilliantly messing with my head in this way and it would twist and then it would twist, you know, and that's all I'm going to say is like, it twists and just, just be ready, just be ready for like more twisting. In fact, actually, don't be ready because if you're not ready, it's even better. Yeah, <laughs> That's no, but I, genius. I agree with that because there's there's moments, especially when it comes to their old childhood friend who's essentially representing the law. There's there's some times where we talk about femme fatale where she does certain things, like even inviting him over for a drink while the yeah. husband's away. And later on, you see her in a dream sequence kind of wrestling with i think some of the feelings that she might have for that guy individual and mm-hmm. you know in relation to how what she thinks her husband's up to and it's a very interesting dynamic because you can even see on her assistant's face the minute she invites him over it's kind of like no you should not do that as, yeah, as a I woman of that, that era who is married you do not invite a man over you know for and you know as much as innocent as it is it's still very yeah there's a couple of moments where you don't even know where her allegiances lie because you think emotions are starting to come into play. Yeah. It's a very, very layered um, character that is, that is created. Like she was fascinating to watch the entire, entire way through. Yeah. And, but even though there were times when this Hitchcockian element would kick in and suddenly it was, wait a minute, feel sorry for her. She is that female protagonist in a Hitchcock movie that's about to get screwed. You know, that something's something's going to twist against her and she's she's in danger that, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but then something else would happen. <laughs> well, 
which I won't tell you which way that would swing, right? Yeah. Because you have to experience it. And sometimes it was to her favor and sometimes it was his. Yeah, no. And that's, I can't say anymore in that <laughs> regard. In that sentence, I can't say anymore because uh, that's the, the beauty of it. Yeah, so definitely uh, keep an eye out for Wife of a Spy. I know it's getting a limited theatrical run, but yeah, in this climate, sometimes those things get expanded. Sometimes it changes. Sometimes you might end up seeing it on a streaming platform a lot sooner than you think. So definitely uh, write that one down and, and keep an eye out for it because it's, it's definitely worth a watch. Absolutely. I Yeah. I think that it's an excellent film. And uh, yeah, I'm just repeating what you just said. So <laughs> complete agreement with you. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lot, I think. And um, but that's it for Frameline for this week. Uh, so tune in next time. And thanks, everyone, for listening.